Well, good morning. How are we doing today? All right, you got to help me out. Let's try that again. How are we doing today? All right, my name is Mike. Welcome. We're glad that you're here. How many of you woke up this morning so excited about the snow? Raise your hand if that's you, okay? Raise them high so we can see you. Okay, uh, uh, all right. Now, how many of you, you pray for people that just raised their hand? A couple of you. All right. Well, I was completely surprised by the snow. I didn't, I didn't track with the forecast. I didn't know it was coming. I, I woke up this morning and my wife said, hey, there's snow on the ground. And so uh, it was a nice, uh, nice surprise. Um, we're wrapping up the, the series that we've been in called Simply Christmas. Uh, and I want to talk to you today about worship. I want to talk to you about what it means to worship, uh, what God longs for you and I uh, as worshipers of Him. Uh, now, some of you in this room, you're, you're business people, you own a business, maybe you're salespeople, uh, you go out and you sell, and you probably have a motto that you live by, and the motto goes something like this, that I want to under-promise but over deliver, right? I want to under-promise. Yeah, right here, Ross. You do that all the time, right? Hopefully you under-promise and you over-deliver. That makes us feel really good, doesn't it? When somebody under-promises and over-deliver. Maybe, maybe you're going to have some work done on your house and the contractor comes and says, hey, I'm not going to be able to get there for like, you know, two months, three months. I'm, I'm booked way out. But then they call you and they surprise you and they say, hey, Turns out I have an opening in my schedule. They were probably under-promising so that they could over-deliver. And when, when that happens, that makes us feel really good, doesn't it? I mean, who doesn't like that? We like to be surprised in that way. Um, now, the, the, the opposite is true. Uh, some of us have been over-promised and under-delivered. That doesn't feel very good, does it? To be over-promised and expect one thing, and then uh, when, when, it, when it comes down to it, uh, we find that we've been under-delivered. Uh, a couple of years ago, um, our family wanted to go to an indoor water park, and uh, it was the middle of the winter, and who doesn't want to go to an indoor water park, right? That's fun. That's just fun. And, and so I went on Groupon. Dot com. Do you guys ever go shop on, on Groupon? All right. You know, and I went on this website and looked for deals, and I found a deal, the deal of a lifetime, okay? There, there was this water park, and it was in Sandusky, Ohio. That's where the, that's like the mecca of water parks, and so it's got to be really good. And the deal was amazing. Now, I, I even know that if a deal seems good to be too good to be true, it probably is. Do you guys ever hear that? Um, but I ignored that in this case because, like, it's Groupon. They're legitimate, and the pictures look amazing, and I, I, they had me, okay? And so we packed the car, and we head on down the highway to Sandusky, Ohio. We were excited. We were going to enjoy ourselves. And we get off the highway, and we pull uh, off the highway there in Sandusky and start going down the road. We pass Kalahari, and the parking lot is packed, jam-packed. We go a little further down the road, and there's Great Wolf Lodge. You got everybody, everybody, Great Wolf Lodge, great place. And the parking lot was packed. And then we pull up a little further, and here's our hotel. The parking lot was not packed. Matter of fact, I wondered if it was even open. Like, seriously, it, it was bad. But I knew it was our hotel because there was like a yellow tube coming out of the side of the building. And so I'm like, well, that has to be it. But we pulled in. Um, you know, landscaping was terrible. It was just everything about it was just shady. It, it was shady. Uh, there was weeds growing up out of the parking lot. We pull in to the parking lot. I'm like, all right, kids, let's go to the, let's go to the water park. And they reluctantly followed me in. And we went in and opened the door. And it's just dark, dingy, um, just no light, no, no, the carpet smelled. It was just not good. There was a pretzel machine over on the bar that had pretzels. Like, you know, they were, you know, those things were there for like three weeks. Like, you just know. And, and, and so there were a big plate glass window that you could kind of peer into and look into the water park. And so I kind of looked in there and there was water flowing in there and it, I couldn't see anybody, but it's a water park. So we went to our room and we checked in uh, to our room. Uh, it was 
it was okay. It wasn't like, wow, this is amazing, but it wasn't, this is terrible, okay? It was like, it was, it was, it was okay. So far, okay, well, maybe this is a good deal. Maybe Groupon came through. And so we went, we changed and got into our swimming suits and went, went down to the water park and the kids are off doing their thing and Naomi's with them and having a good time. I just sat kind of a, at, at this table, kind of perplexed, kind of wondering, what is going on here? Something's not right. So I get out my iPhone and I begin to Google um, the name of this hotel and water park and, and up pops this video from this episode of Hotel Impossible, where they take really bad hotel situations and they confront the owner and hopefully the owner changes and does what's necessary to turn this bad hotel into a thriving hotel. That's the whole goal goal of the show. It's on the Travel Channel. But this very hotel pops up. And so I hit play. I'm like, I want to check this out. And I'm looking, I'm like, wow, that's, that is that, that ride right there. Like I'm looking at that. I'm, I'm looking at what I'm watching. And then it's, I scroll a little bit further and there was, it turns out a bed bug infestation in this hotel and not a little one. This is a big bed bug infestation, like bed bugs everywhere. Like I'm talking even in the crane machines, in the arcade. I mean, they were everywhere. They were in the, under the mattresses in the rooms and in the creases of the curtains. And, and it was just really, really bad. And so I'm watching this and I'm, I'm like at the hotel and then it's like, okay, this makes sense. Groupon, you, you had me. And this wasn't even 2020. Um, and, 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 and so here I am. Naomi comes walking over to kind of take a break from the water tubes or whatever. I go, you're never going to believe this. Like, you're never going to believe. This hotel, this hotel that we're in right now, it was on Hotel Impossible. And there was a bed bug infestation. I tell Naomi, she's like, why are you telling me this? I'm like, well, it's reality. It's reality. This, I mean, do you want to watch it? She's like, no, I don't want to watch it. So anyway, we go up to our room and I did a thorough investigation. I want you to know I got my flashlight out. We're flipping mattresses. We're underneath everything inspecting. We found no bed bugs. Turned out that two years prior, uh, that's when everything went down in this, in this hotel and uh, they remediated all the bed bugs, but they never turned things around in this hotel. And hence the reason why it was $150 for two nights stay at, at the hotel. But here's the truth. Under promise, or they overpromised and under delivered and, uh, and, and, and the outcome definitely uh, was not what we expected. But here's the deal. On a deeper and more spiritual level, all of us in this room and all of us uh, in this world uh, are, are on a journey and we're seeking after something. All of us. You're sitting here this morning. You're seeking after some, something. Hopefully, you're seeking after Jesus. Uh, but all of us are, are seeking. What are we seeking? We're seeking significance. We're seeking uh, meaning in life. And the truth is that many people are looking and searching for significance and for meaning and identity in places that will always, always overpromise and underdeliver. It, they'll, they'll never, the places that they're seeking will never give them the meaning and the significance uh, that, they're, that they're looking for. Some are trying to find it in um, their bank account or in their careers or in their 401k plan or uh, some are even trying to find it in things like extramarital affairs um, or drugs or, or alcohol. Uh, and here is the truth this morning. We all do this. We're all on a a path of seeking and looking for meaning and significance because every single one of us, every person alive is a worshiper. Now, not all of us, not everybody is a worshiper of God, but everybody is a worshiper. Everybody alive is a worshiper. You and I are worshipers. Um, hopefully, though, we are, we are worshiping uh, Jesus and we are god Worshippers. Some people worship at the first church of the perfect body. 
Some worship at the throne of a political party or a political leader. Some worship at the altar of ESPN.com. But make no mistake, all of us, every single one of us in this room are are worshipers. Um, And here's what I want you to know this morning. God is longing for you and I. He's longing for us to worship Him. He is seeking seekers. God is seeking seekers. Now, don't just blow by that statement. Really think about that and internalize that for, for a minute with me. That, that the very God of the universe, the King of kings, the Lord of lords, the one who spoke creation into existence, longs, desires, looks forward to you and I seeking after him. That just should, should move us in, in a very uh, dramatic way. The fact that God would long for us to worship him. Jesus said this in John chapter 4, verse 23. You don't need to turn there, but, but listen. Jesus says this. He says that he is seeking men and women. He is seeking you and I. Who He, he seeks men and women who will worship him in spirit and in truth. He's seeking after worshipers, people that would worship him in spirit and in truth. That means with our whole heart lining up with the truth of who God is, the whole truth of who God is that we find in Scripture. That's what God is learning for, leaning in and, 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 and desiring from us. We could say it this way, worship is a joyful and passionate response. It's always a response. We're responding to God. We are the responders. God is the pursuer. We respond to God and his goodness and who he is. But we could say that worship is a joyful and even passionate response when our knowledge of God, what we know about God, collides with a heart for God. Okay? I'm going to read that again. Worship is a joyful and a passionate response when our knowledge of God collides with our heart for God. And today we're going to look at a a group of people who did just that. They were seekers. They didn't have all of the answers. They had some of the answers. They had limited knowledge about who God is, but they took their knowledge of, of who God is And they allowed their hearts to connect with God in a very meaningful way. They collided together, and the response was a joyful and passionate response that we call worship. Now, I also want you to know that there was was two other groups of people that we're going to learn about today. So there was a group that, that pursued Jesus, and when they found him, they worshiped him with all of their heart, and they brought him gifts that were just fit for a king. But there was, there was two other groups of people as well that had the same opportunity. They had the same chance uh, to, to, to do the same thing, to, to worship. Uh, but they, they, they chose intellectual knowledge. Their intellectual knowledge about who God was didn't collide with their heart. And the result was they, they, they didn't worship God. And, and so as we unpack this story today, I want you to find yourself in one of these groups of people. Um, and my prayer is that 2021, no matter which group you find yourself in today, as we unpack pack this message, that by the end of this message today, we line up with the first group of people, the people that were, were passionate followers and worshipers of, of Jesus. That's my prayer uh, for you. So turning your Bibles um, this morning, if you would, to Matthew chapter 2. Matthew chapter 2. When you find that, go ahead and stand to your feet. We're going to read out loud the first three verses together. Matthew chapter 2, and we're going to look at verses 1, 2, and 3. We're going to read those out loud together. So go ahead and stand to your feet. Hopefully those of you at home can join us as well as we read God's word. Let's read this out loud together. Matthew chapter 2, beginning at verse 1. It says this. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. 
When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. You may have a seat. So we learn a couple of things right out of the gate here in the first three verses of our our passage this morning that there's a group of people, at least two people, called magi. Now, you might be saying, well, no, there was three wise men. There was three magi. That's what my nativity scene has in it. And I want you to say that Scripture doesn't tell us that there were three kings. Sorry to break it to you. We don't know if there were three kings. We don't know how many kings or kings or magi, wise men, there were. We just simply know that there were at least two because magi is plural, okay? Um, we assume that there were three because there were three gifts that were brought to Jesus, right? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But we don't know how many people... I, I think um, that there was a whole entourage of Magi because uh, they created quite a stir when they showed up in Jerusalem. They even got the attention of, of Herod, but, but we, we don't know. We also assume incorrectly, um, if you look at your nativity scene, we, we have the stable, uh, you know, and there's some straw in your stable there probably. There's a couple horses and cows and there's a manger. Baby Jesus is in the manger and Joseph and Mary are there and the shepherds are there, right? And then behind the shepherds, a little off at the distance, there's the, the, the magi, the three wise men. But truth be told, we know from scripture that Jesus wasn't in a stable when the Magi showed up, he, they were living, their family was living in a home. Uh, the Magi showed, showed up at their home. So Jesus was probably a year, between a year and two years old when the Magi uh, showed up on, on the scene. And, um, and, and so they showed up. So who were the Magi? Kind of this mis- mysterious group of people. We know for sure that they were astronomers. They studied the movements of stars and planets and solar systems, and they had a passion for that, right? We also um, can assume that they were astrologers as well, meaning that they believed that there was this link between the movements of the stars and the planets and the destiny of men, okay? And they were pagans. We know that they came from the east, uh, probably Persia, which was about eight to 900 miles away from Jerusalem. And probably modern-day Iran is where they came from. And, and we come to that conclusion uh, because of uh, some other information we find in the Old Testament, in the book of Daniel, and, and, and some of those sorts of things. But what we do know is something got their attention in the sky. God got their attention in the heavenlies um, that there was this, many scholars think, a planetary conjunction that took place, something that they had never seen before in their life, and it got their attention. Um, And uh, how many of you saw the planetary conjunction, Jupiter and Saturn, on December 21st? That's right, none of you, because we live in northern Indiana and the skies wouldn't allow us to see it. But it did happen. Some of you may have saw it, and and if you were in another part of the country, uh, where two planets kind of came together looking like one star, and some experts believe that that, there's actually a, a documentary called The Bethlehem Star that's very intriguing. I would encourage you to watch it. Um, it really caused me to just, uh, uh, just be more passionate about all that Jesus did to, as he came in, in, into this world as, as a baby. Just a, a really great um, uh, documentary that you can, you can check out. We don't know exactly what happened, but here's what we know. Something significant. God used something significant to get the attention of the Magi. And I, I love that God did this. And, and I believe that God still uses these significant events in our lives to get our attention. And, and that might look differently for, for each of us in this room. You know, maybe there was a significant event that happened in your life in 2020. All of us did in some, um, you know, when it, as it relates to COVID. But uh, maybe for you, uh, it, that significant event that got your attention um, was a, a, a job loss 
for you or a job change for you or maybe some of you have have gone unfortunately through a divorce in 2020 and it was a significant event Um, and God used that event didn't necessarily cause that event to happen but he used that event to to woo you closer to him to draw you closer to him maybe maybe even got your attention through the significant event that took place in in your life and I, I love that God did that in the life of the Magi, uh, something that they were very passionate about, following the stars and the planets and the movement. And, and he knew that about the Magi, and, and he allowed something significant to take place. Um, and, and sometimes we lose sight that God is a, a personal God, and he used this very uh, significant event in the lives of, of, of the Magi. We know this from the Magi, that most likely uh, they must have known of the writings of the prophet Daniel, uh, who in the Old Testament in times past had been the chief of the court seers in Persia. And Daniel 9 includes a prophecy which gives a timeline for the birth of of the Messiah. And so uh, there's a very good possibility that they would have known that prophecy and that they would have had some limited information about this this prophecy that there was going to be a Messiah. Also, the Magi may have been aware of the prophecy of Balaam found in Numbers chapter 24, uh, verse 17. He he was uh, from Persia, and there was a prophecy in Numbers 24, 17 that says, that mentions a star coming out of Jacob. And so, this limited information that they, they knew uh, about God and about these prophecies and the star uh, happened to draw their attention and, and it was a significant, so much so, they were willing to travel eight, nine hundred miles uh, to, to, find, to find this baby. Well, they show up, the Magi show up in the most logical place that you would show up, the capital city of Israel, Jerusalem, not knowing exactly where the Messiah was, was born, and they began asking around. And the result of this is it created quite a stir. Uh, we're told here in, in this passage that Herod caught wind of this, and he was disturbed by it. Now, let me tell you about Herod, give you a little background information about Herod. He was called Herod the Great. He ruled as king of the Jews under Roman authority for 33 years. He was a horrendous, horrendous person. Uh, he was distrustful. He was jealous. He was brutal. He was worthless. Um, he, he, he was ruthless, I meant. You could say worthless too, but he was ruthless and he crushed any potential opposition to him. Anybody that he suspected uh, was a threat to his kingship, he would get rid of. He constantly feared conspiracy, um, he even executed his wife uh, when he suspected she was plotting against him. Uh, he killed three of his sons, another wife, and his mother-in-law. That's the only one that makes sense to me. I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. But he killed all of these people in his family when he suspected them of being part of, of this conspiracy. By the way, to my mother-in-law, if you're watching, I love you. I really do. She's a great woman. Um, but he, he also, we know a little further down, if we continue to read in the passage, uh, that not only did he kill anybody in his path that he suspected of being part of this conspiracy, uh, he was so self-absorbed that he had all uh, the little boys, two years and under in Bethlehem in the vicinity, killed in an effort to get rid of Jesus, to get rid of the king of the Jews. So he was self-absorbed. He was hungry for control. He would do anything to protect this world, his world. And uh, he was the one, he he thought in his mind that he was the one worthy of worship. Now, um, truth be told, uh, I think that uh, there's a little bit of Herod in all of us. Hopefully not the brutal stuff. But when it comes down to being self-centered, thinking at times that our world revolves around us, right? We can be selfish at times. I can be selfish. You can be selfish. And um, sometimes I think uh, there's more Herod in us than we care to admit. Let's go back to our story here. Let's look at at verse 3 and uh, let's read uh, on 
verse 3, so when King Herod heard this, heard that the, the Magi were, were poking around Jerusalem asking about uh, the, this, this king of the Jews, he was disturbed and all Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, that, those are the smart people, okay? Those are the religious people. Those were the ones that knew Scripture backwards and forwards, and they were the ones that could point to, to all the prophecies. They knew Scripture really, really well. And so he calls these religious people together, and he asks them where the Messiah was to be born. They respond, in Bethlehem, in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. And they, they read a prophecy that Micah um, had, had prophesied. Uh, and here, here it is, verse 6. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For out of you, Bethlehem, will come a ruler who will shepherd my people, Israel. Verse 7, then Herod called the Magi secretly and he found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and he said, go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report back to me so that I too may go and worship him. Okay, so Herod calls a couple emergency closed door meetings Together, the first is with the religious people, the chief priests, the teachers of the law, uh, the people that, that knew Scripture, frontwards, backwards. Uh, they were the people that they could just quote anything. Um, probably had a big chunk of the Old Testament memorized. And they're able to quickly point to prophecy in Scripture and, and give, the, give the place where, where Jesus would be born. And they're able to tell Herod that the Messiah was to be born in Bethlehem. Now, here's the really sad reality about all of this and about the religious leaders. They lived five and a half miles away from the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, but it might as well have been a thousand miles. They had head knowledge, but their hearts were way, 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 way far away from God. All of the right information, but zero transformation. And this is the saddest reality that is the potential for some of you in this room today. I hope it's not, but it could be. The saddest reality would be getting to the end of your life, having told others where to find Jesus, but never making the trip yourself. There, there, there would be no more of a sad reality than, than that. And if that's you this morning, I just want you to know, um, you, you know, maybe you could articulate the gospel even. You could tell me that Jesus was born and he was born to die and he went to the cross and died a death that should have been me, should have been you, and, and he did that to to pay for my sins and your sins so that we can have life. Maybe you're able to articulate that, but you've never make, made that trip to the cross yourself. Never surrendered your life to Jesus. And man, that would break, break my heart if that were the case. And I, I just want you to know that if that's you, I pray that today is the day of salvation. That today would be the day that you'd surrender your life to Jesus and you would find the freedom that comes from knowing him. These religious leaders, they, they knew all about God in their head without ever experiencing belief with their hearts. So sad. And, and Jesus called out these religious leaders later on in the book of Matthew, the gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 15. I want you to turn there. Matthew chapter 15. Keep your finger here in Matthew chapter 2. Turn to Matthew chapter 15 and let's look at verses 7 through 9 together, Matthew chapter 15, 7 through 9, Jesus had some really, really sharp words for religious people like this. Um, it said, he starts out by saying what? You, what's, what's he call them? You hypocrites. And he says, Isaiah was right, the prophet Isaiah was right when he prophesied about you. 
Now, this is not a prophecy that you want to be about you. And he looks at them and he points at them and he says, the prophet Isaiah was right when he spoke and he prophesied about you. And here's the prophecy. These people, okay, people that have this head knowledge but no heart transformation, he says, these people honor me with their what? Honor me with their lips, but their what? Their, their hearts are far from me. And then he says, they worship me in what? In vain. They worship me in vain. Man, it's a picture of a, of a person with a brilliant mind and a stubborn heart who is wasting their worship. Where, where their intellect doesn't match their, their heart and their passion for, for the Lord. Uh, my son and I, Caleb, we like to watch this show called Forged in Fire. Did you guys ever, ever watch that show? Uh, it's, you know, they, they, they hammer steel into, into knives. They make beautiful knives, hopefully. And there's a competition. And they, uh, you know, it starts out with four and goes down to one, one winner. And um, Caleb and I could tell you, because we're watching the show, we could tell you, oh, that guy didn't quench right. His blade is going to fail miserably. He's going to be kicked off the show here in about a minute. Oh, nope, that guy did not clean the metal uh, before he forged, weld, welded the metal together. That's going to be a catastrophic failure. His blade's going to chip. Like, we could tell you all that. Guess what? I've never touched a hot blade in my life, but I can tell you all about it. Like, I literally feel like I know how to do it, and I've never touched a hot steel in my life, never hammered one into a shape. I hope to one day, but I've never had. And that's exactly like these religious people. Like, that's what it's like. Like, you know, they, they knew everything up here, but they're, they're, that, that information never took that 18-inch journey from their head to their heart, right? See, head knowledge without a seeking heart creates apathy in us. And apathy is a very dangerous place to be. And, and maybe you would be honest and you would say, you know, 2020 was a really hard year for me and more than just ways of COVID. But spiritually, I, kind of, I took a hit. If you're honest, you know, maybe, maybe 2020 was not a good spiritual year for you. Matter of fact, maybe you would say, you know, there have been times in my life where I felt like when I would read scripture, it was leaping off the page and into my heart and, and, and I, w I had my ear close to the Lord and I, 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 could, I could hear the spirit whispering and giving me my marching orders and, and, and I, I was close and I felt close and I felt passionate. I was a, a passionate follower of the, of the Lord, but Lately, not so much. Maybe that's you this morning. You know, I, 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 my heart's grown cold. I don't want it to be. I, I wish it wasn't, but it is. And, and here I am. I find myself at, at a place that feels very distant from, from the Lord. And the good news is that that can all change. Uh, like literally, you could have walked in here feeling that way, sensing uh, your spiritual life in, in that way, and you can walk out of here completely changed um, God, can, God can do that, and I, I, I pray that that is the case. Uh, but, but how do we get there? How, do, how, do we, how can we go one year, uh, like up here, feeling passionate and, and, and being on fire for the Lord and sharing our faith boldly in our, our workplace to, to finding our our, ourselves in a place where there's just nothing, like the tank's empty? Um, I, I think a couple, couple things. I want to just offer you some potential reasons why that can happen. I just want you to listen to these. And I want you to maybe just allow the Holy Spirit to kind of poke around a little bit in, in your own heart, in your own life, and see if any of these uh, might be the reason uh, for apathy in, in, in your own life, this, this disconnect that's going on. Number one, maybe there's unconfessed sin in your life. It's a pattern of sin that you know is there. Um, and you just haven't done anything about it. Um, you continue to live your life, and, um, you know, you cannot be a passionate follower of Christ and have a habitual sin issue in your life. 
It's just that, that those two are incompatible, okay? And so if that's the case, um, man, I, I urge you and plead with you to, to confess your sin and to repent of that, to turn from that, to draw near to the Lord. But unconfessed sin in our life uh, creates a, a, an apathetic heart in us towards, towards God. Number two, busyness. Now, 2020 um, has helped us in some of this area. Um, we didn't necessarily like it, but, uh, you know, 2020, there was a lot of cancellations, a lot of schedule changes, a lot of flexibility, a lot of stuff, our schedule cut out from underneath us, you know, sporting events and plays and musical events and all kinds of things like that. Um, and, and I hope that as COVID kind of winds down, because it will, um, hopefully soon. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're trusting the Lord for. But hopefully as COVID winds down and the schedule winds back up, hopefully you can find a new normal. And, and maybe it involves cutting some stuff out, stuff that tends to crowd out. These are good things, but they crowd out opportunities for us to really draw near to the Lord. And, and it causes us to have no time, not the proper time that, that we need to really develop a, a passionate relationship with, with the Lord. So busyness is, is, can be a cause of, of apathy. Number three, disappointment with God. Disappointment with God can create this, this apathy in our hearts, this, this, this coldness, this dryness, spiritual dryness in, in our life. And, and maybe um, you never really even thought of it this way, but, but something happened in your life and truth be told, you're disappointed with God. Uh, like you're asking those things in your heart of hearts. Like, you know, if God is so good. Why did this happen to me? And if we stay in that place where we're not honest with God and articulating our disappointment, but also then affirming our trust in the sovereignty of God, uh, like Tannen talked about last week, we can find ourselves in a really dry place spiritually. Maybe that's you, and, and um, that's where you find yourself today. Disappointment with God can create that spiritual dryness in our, in our life. Uh, number four, we stop asking really good questions. Um, and what I mean by that is um, there was a time in your, in your life when, when you were reading God's Word and you wouldn't just read it for information, but that you would, you would ask some questions about the verses or the passage that you were reading. You would ask questions like, God, what do you want me to do as a result of this passage I'm reading? God, what are the areas of my life that don't line up with your best for my life? And God, by, with your help, through your Holy Spirit, I, I'm going to have the courage to take some steps. And you stop asking those questions. Maybe your time with the Lord. You know, look, you can read through the Bible in a year, and at the end of the year, if you don't ask the right questions, you will be unchanged. And, and I could say you could read through the Bible in a whole year, and, and you could actually be apathetic at the end of that process. You don't ask the right questions. And so somewhere along the line, maybe you stopped asking the right questions. Maybe you need to begin asking those right questions. God, what, do you, what direction do you want for my life? Maybe you used to pray about everything, direction in your life. And somewhere along the line, you just took matters into your own hands. You stopped asking those questions. Number five, maybe you let go of some commitment. And it was a good commitment. It was, it was commitment that involved serving in, in, your, in your local church, giving of your time and your talent and, 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 and serving in an area that God has uniquely wired you and gifted you. And you just stepped down because of some reason uh, in, in your life. Maybe, maybe you got busy or, or maybe something else kind of took its place and, and you, just step, you just stepped down. You backed out of some, some important commitment. Maybe for some of you, you stepped out of a commitment of faithfully giving because times got tough. And, and when you were giving, you didn't really realize it, but you were having to depend on God um, and you were giving Him your first fruits and as a result of that, your faith had grown because you were having to depend on him, but times got tough and you kind of backed out of that commitment. And as a result, the unattended, 
unintended result of that is your faith took a hit because now you don't need to depend on, on God like you, like you once did. And so that, all of those things can create apathy if we're not careful. And those are, those are things that we need to ask ourselves. Remember, worship is a joyful and passionate response when our knowledge of God collides with our heart for God. So Herod calls the Magi together. He begins questioning them. Of course, he's not trying to, he doesn't want to go worship Jesus. He wants to execute Jesus. He wants to get rid of the threat uh, in, in his life. And let's, let's pick up our story in verse 9. Uh, verse 9, Matthew 2 says, After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were what? What's the word? What, what is it? Say it out loud. When they saw the star, they were what? They were overjoyed on coming to the house. They saw the child with his mother Mary and they bowed down and they worshiped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route. They were overjoyed when they saw Jesus because their knowledge of God, their limited knowledge of God collided, collided with, with their heart and their passion in that moment and their re response to God. And the result of that was this being overjoyed and passionate. They, they bowed down. What does that mean? They, they submitted. These were, these were men of influence. These were men that that, uh, you know, they were well known in their, in, their, in their region that they came from. They were well known. They were men of influence. They bowed down, submitted to, to a, potentially a one-year-old, two-year-old Jesus. Why? Because their heart was affected by what they experienced, all because Jesus led them to himself. And they presented him with gifts fit for a king. What do you get a birthday boy that has everything? What do you get someone that has everything? I'll tell you what you get. Yourself. That's what you give a birthday boy who has everything. You give him yourself. You give him yourself. Do you, you ever uh, uh, have a, invited to somebody's party, their house, probably not so much in 2020, hopefully in 2021, somebody invites you over and what's your natural response? What can I bring, right? And sometimes they say, yeah, you know, bring a dessert or whatever. But oftentimes they say, just bring yourselves. Why? It's because that's what they really want. They want your presence. They, they want you. They don't want the things that you can bring them. They don't want your desserts. Probably good. Your desserts are probably good, you know, that you're going to bring, hopefully. Um, but um, they really want you. They want your presence. And that's really want what God wants. He wants you. He wants all of you. He wants your whole you. And he wants your time. He wants your talents. And he wants your, your treasure, which is all of you. Romans 12.1 says, says it this way. It says, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies, that's your whole life, your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So the, these, these magi, they, they started out as seekers. They ended up as, as worshipers. But listen, worship isn't an event, okay? Worship isn't the four songs before the message, Okay? Worship isn't the four songs before the message and then we're, we're done. That's not worship. That's, that's part of it. Hopefully, that's a picture of your life. It's a picture of, of how your life is going to worship the rest of the week. That, that's, what, that's what that should uh, represent. Biblical worship, biblical worship is a total life-shaping response to who God is and what he has done. That's what worship is. It's a, it's a total 
life-shaping response. This means it, in, it involves our entire life. It shapes our whole lives. It affects every area of our life. It reshapes our affections. It reshapes our identity. Going to work is now worshiping. It's an act of worship. The God who created you, you're, you're using your skills and your gifts and your abilities to honor Him. Going home after work is worshiping. Going fishing and running and riding your bike is an act of worship before God. It's a total life-shaping response to who God is and what He has done. So here's the question. Is that a picture of you? Is that a picture of, of your life right now, 2021, beginning of 2021? If so, that's, that's fantastic. That's great. Um, continue allowing the gospel to shape your life as an act of worship. Keep doing that. Keep going. Keep plugging away. Keep, keep, uh, keep surrendering your life. Keep making sure your head knowledge isn't just head knowledge, that it's colliding with, with, with a heart to want to surrender to the Lordship of Jesus. And that collision, remember, is the, that response. That's called worship. Keep doing that if that's the case. But maybe for some of you, if you were honest, you would say you're a little more like the religious leaders. You've grown apathetic in your walk with, with the Lord. You have all kinds of head knowledge, but there's no heart engagement. There's no passion. There's, it's all routine, rigid legalism. You don't get excited about sharing your faith for, for some of you. And there's no spiritual depth. Um, maybe for some of you, you would line up more with, with Herod. Uh, there's some self-centeredness in your, in your heart. Um, and if you're honest, your world revolves around you, or at least you expect it to. Um, and you think you are the object of worship. And the good news today is that today can be the day that all this changes. Um, that 2021 can be the year that you would look back on a year from now, and you would say, this is the year that everything changed for me. This is the year that my head, my heart collided in a total life response to Jesus. It's the day that it, the dots connected. It was the year that the dots connected and it, and it was this rich uh, year. How do I do that? How do you do that? How do you do that? Well, I want to challenge you to think about a couple of, couple of things. It won't happen if there's, there's no intentionality uh, with anything. It starts with some intentionality, some hey, I'm going to get serious about, about some things in my life. So a couple things to consider. Uh, consider uh, what are some new spiritual disciplines that might need to be established in your life? Maybe, maybe tithing for the very first time would be this year that you would set aside 10% of your income. God doesn't need your money. He wants your heart. And, and maybe for some of you, that, that's what has a grip on your, on your heart. And you'd say, 2021, that I am going to commit to giving my first fruits, uh, sacrificially giving, 10% of my, my giving to, so that represents my heart. And that's where my head knowledge and my heart's going to collide this year in 2021. Maybe, maybe for you, you want to incorporate the spiritual discipline of fasting this year. And you'll set aside a, a day or a meal a week um, to fast and to seek the Lord. Uh, maybe for some of you, um, you know, you do pretty good at your reading, Bible reading, but the prayer, your prayer life suffers, or maybe it's the opposite for you. Maybe your prayer life's pretty good, but your Bible reading suffers, and you're going to establish some new rhythms in your life in, in, in 2021. Maybe you're going to commit this year, um, maybe you would commit to reading through the New Testament. Start there. Read through the New Testament this year and, and journal down some thoughts. Ask yourself some good, really good questions. Pastor John, a couple of weeks ago, talked about the SOAP method, right? S-O-A-P, where we find a scripture and we list the things that we observe in that passage. And then we list the things that we want to apply to our lives. And then we write out a prayer. And that's a simple way, SOAP that you could begin on this journey in 2021. Uh, maybe for some of you, you'd say, you know what, I'm going to read through the Bible this year, the whole Bible. 
uh, this year, this last year, 2020, I did something different that I didn't do, I've never done. Um, I downloaded this app called Dwell, D-W-E-L-L, Dwell, and, and, and it's a Bible reading um, app that, that, that reads the Bible to you. And I, I read through the Bible, followed along as it was being read to me. And there was something for me, that, that engagement of, of, of another sense, bringing in uh, the sense of hearing and, and, and the sense of my eyesight reading the pages while it was being read to me was a real fresh experience for me this year and, and something I, I'm continuing to do this year. And so maybe you would consider doing something like that. Maybe you consider inviting a couple friends together, saying, you know what, we're going to start this Facebook group. Uh, or a text thread, or whatever you want to do, and we're going to read the Bible together, and we're going to hold each other accountable. We're going to we're going to share and spur one another on how God is moving in in your in your life. Maybe this year is the year. Twenty twenty one is the year that you finally do training camp. Okay, ladies, you you say you know what? I don't for whatever reason I just I I, I didn't do it. Maybe men, this is the year that t- you commit to Fight Club. You say, you know what, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do Fight Club for the very first time or I'm going to come back to doing Fight Club again um, just because I, I want to, to know Jesus in a fresh way and by, by rubbing shoulders with, uh, with other people. Uh, maybe you would consider serving this year in, in your local church. Find a place that you can get excited about, that you can get passionate about, that God's wired you uniquely. And, and you can say, you know what, I'm going I'm to serve in this area. And then finally, consider slowing down. Consider the areas of your life that are out of whack and just make a change, even a small change to those areas of your life that you just find yourself kind of snuffing out those rhythms that are really, really healthy. I'm going to invite you to stand and we're going to invite the worship team to come on um, back up on stage. And here's the deal. We, We reserved kind of our worship set for uh, a big part of our worship set for the end of this message today. But here's why we did that, because we want to give you a chance to respond uh, to Jesus, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And maybe the songs at the beginning of the worship set, you sang, you know, but you didn't really like own them in your heart. You didn't really allow these, the words to affect you deeply. And I want you to do that. I, I, I want you to, to sing these, these next couple of songs and I want you to sing them like you mean them. And I want you to give your whole heart in worship to God. And remember, these songs aren't just worship. It's, it's, not, it's, it's not the songs. But th- hopefully this next couple of moments are a picture of what your life is going to be like when you walk out of these doors today. So Lord, thank you. You're a good God. Thanks for pursuing us, loving us, giving us your best. Lord, I pray that for some of us in this room that our head and our heart would collide today, maybe the first time in a long time, and that that response would be total life worship and surrender to you because you are worthy. In Jesus' name, amen.